Welcome to the Quantum Growth Podcast, empowering financial advisors to build practices for the 21st century by providing insights and interviews on leadership, strategy, and practice management. Now here is your host, Barron's Hall of Fame advisor, Jonathan Cutton. Welcome to another episode of the Million Dollar Producer Show. I'm your host, Paul G. McManus. Today, I'm honored to welcome Ray Kelly to the show. I first discovered Ray through a mutual client and colleague of ours, John Cut, and I've been hearing about the work Ray does when it comes to leadership from a number of my current clients. I'm very interested to dive into his background and his approach to helping financial advisors grow their practices by honing their leadership skills. Finally, Ray is a founding member of the Financial Advisor Success Syndicate which we'll be diving into more during the course of today's episode. Welcome, Ray. Paul, thanks. I Until you said your introduction, I had no idea your middle initials G. What does that stand for? A great question. It stands for Gideon. And I have a whole story and a reason, which I'll share with you just very briefly why I, I use it. I learned a lesson in personal branding some years ago when someone Googled me, Paul McManus without the middle initial, and all the results that came up were this axe murderer out of Ireland, <laughs> featured on Murderpedia and these different things. I'm like, that's not really good for an online brand. So my lesson in personal branding was, well, if you add the middle initial, and now when you Google me, you'll get all the things that I want people to see. All right. I will not forget that story. Again, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. This is really our first time to talk one-on-one. I've listened to you on other podcasts, some of the trainings you've done. So I feel like I know you, but um, for audience um, specifically, who's, who's probably never had a chance to um, learn about your story, just big picture. Um, who is Ray Kelly and what got you from there to where you are today? Sure. I'm from Detroit, originally from Michigan. My father was an electrical engineer for Ford. He was frustrated in the early 70s with the garbage they were putting out. He basically quit his job and I call it went into the family business and the family business was he's a policeman. He became a state policeman and moved us to central Michigan. Did a lot of work on the farm for little and stuff like that. And one of the things I realized on a hot uh, August day when I was baling hay, making two bucks an hour. That was one thing I didn't want to do the rest of my life. So I made a decision. I was going to go to college, hopefully get a job in an air conditioned building. <laughs> I didn't make people work for slave labor. And that's what I did. I went up, ended up going to University of Michigan. I was a finance major there. A little company came to campus. Remember those days when you're interviewing for jobs and a company called IDS Financial Services came to campus and I had finance in my name and they had finance in their name. I thought we had a match. I had no idea what they did. This was before the internet where you could Google stuff. You would have gone to the library and look up deep to try to find that out. I found out later that they were located in Minneapolis and they were owned by American Express. I had heard of American Express. I didn't have one of those cards, but I've heard of it at the time when I was 21. But I moved there and I ended up starting in their corporate office in the accounting finance pool and my first permanent job, Paul, and if there are any auditors out there, if you cover your ears, but what I learned there as an auditor is what I never, ever wanted to do again. Spent 13 months, three weeks, four days, and approximately six hours in audit. I hated it. The cool thing is I found out what the company did. Okay, We helped uh, clients achieve their financial goals and dreams. We sold them different products and services, and I knew I needed to get on the client-facing side of the business, and that's what I did. And to make a long story short, ended up spending uh, 13 years down in Texas. I ran that part of the country for, became American Express Finance Advisors and Ameriprise. I did such a bang-up job. I said, hey, come back to Minneapolis. We'd like you to run the employee side of the business. I ran the employee side for a number of years. And then I quit. And the reason why I quit was my values were out of whack. A little bit later, we'll probably talk about behavioral financial advice. And one of the um, base questions the BFA is based on, is it possible your real self be aligned with your ideal self more often? 
the possible your real self be aligned with your ideal self. My ideal self was saying that the most important thing in my life was family. I had four kids between the ages of seven and 14, and I wasn't spending very much time with them, okay, which did not make me very happy. I was out of alignment. So I quit and I stopped and became a dad, got involved in school, church, coached their teams, did all those things. And one of the things I realized, Paul, was from uh, eight o'clock in the morning to about three o'clock in the afternoon, they went to school. So I said, what the heck am I going to do? And what, what I was good at in my days at Ameriprise was track record of developing really good leaders, leadership team. And I said, you know what? I'm going to build a business, part-time business coaching business where I can help people mainly in the industry that I grew up in, which is the financial services industry, where I spent over 20-something years there. And I started building a coaching business in that spare time. So that's what I do now is I'm an executive coach. And I spend most of my time focused on building leadership cultures, how to develop the next generation of leaders within your group so you don't kill yourself or try to continue to take advantage of one of the greatest periods of time in terms of boomers retiring and also one of our greatest obligations in terms of people needing our services. Amazing story. I appreciate you sharing that with us. Given your backgrounds with Ameriprise and I know all the clients we have in common are financial advisors. So is it safe to say that your client base that you work with, they're primarily financial advisors or exclusively financial advisors? It's probably about 90% financial advisors. Well, it's financial advisors or the executives after their firms. I got mm. to a pretty high level. The analogy I like to share with people is a military analogy, you know, from privates all the way up to generals. When I left there, I was at a general position. But one of the things I've realized is generals usually get to become generals because they've had a, a success track record and they have a way of doing things that works for them. They're not always interested in getting coaching or have a coach. So what I've targeted is helping generals and colonels Go develop the, the mid-level officers, how to develop your lieutenants and captains to become colonels and generals. That's my sweet spot. I know how to fire a gun. I can actually go down and do the sergeant job, teaching the private how to do the role, but it's been a long time since I've done that. But I, what I do know how to do is how, how to help make young leaders better so that they can be positioned to take over the firm, to take on more responsibility, grow their skill sets in terms of how to uh, mobilize a group of people around a common cause to drive results consistently. I was recently listening to one of the trainings that you did in the Financial Advisor Success Syndicate, which we'll get into more detail later. But the point and the story and the point that you made, which resonated with me, was that something along the lines of when you're talking to the audience and you ask them, how many of you want to increase your revenue? For example, every hand goes up. Then the next follow-up question is, how many of you want to work more hours to make that happen and not many hands go up. And I think the point that you made is so useful and just that really captures it is that at some point, the only way or the primary way to grow your business or practice beyond a certain level is through honing in on those leadership skills. And to really give a kind of a concrete example and framing to the conversation. So the person that we both know in common, John Cutton, I'll just share briefly about him. I believe you have a much longer history with him. John Cutton, he's a client of mine, currently helping him write five books. He's ambitious, just at a very high level. He's a Barron's Hall of Fame financial advisor. He currently runs Cutton Wealth Management, which does I want to say 8 billion plus of AUM. And I know his vision, which I'm sure he's going to hit even sooner than he predicts is something along the lines of 30 billion or even more AUM. I just want to share all that because that's the level of person, someone who's at the pinnacle of their success 
and still growing, right? So it's not like he stopped. He's like, he's already at the top and he has even bigger vision and dreams to expand. But that's the kind of person that you help. And then just before I turn it to you, I think to underscore the point that you're making is that ultimately, and I know from him and working with him closely, is that he's not hands-on in his practice from the perspective of he doesn't do any advising. He has a team. And I believe part of the biggest thing that you help him with, which I want to get into, is you help him build out those, I think it's called level five leaders, or you help them build their leadership skills so that he can effectively grow that firm without him having to be hands-on in the process. So with that setup, I'd just love to have you go as big picture as you want or narrow and hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, I'll do a little bit of both. You, you got it right on, Paul. It's just John's a great example of what a lot of my clients look like. John, to your point, is very ambitious, has a big vision, which I love. I love that big vision. But John hired me probably, oh, 2016, 17, we started working together. He was stuck and he was stuck in a pretty good place. Okay, he was doing 10, 12 million in revenue but he was frustrated. His back was tired. I eventually just held out the mirror and said, John, you're the problem. And he said, what? I'm the problem. I do everything around here. And I said, exactly. You do everything around here. And that's the problem. You haven't developed leaders. You haven't developed the next generation. Okay. So that became the working point is how to create what I call a level five, a supercharged leadership development factor. We develop level five. It's part of their vision statement. And it pretty much differentiates them from almost everyone else in the industry is their focus of not only being barons, doing all the great client service and investment work and all the things you do, estate planning with your clients, but also developing all the people within the firm to become better leaders. Because everybody wins when the leader gets better. Everyone. The individual wins, the people around them, including their family, people they lead. Clients win when the leader gets better. And John bought into that vision and has really attacked it. Now, I'll, I'll go into a little specifics just for the, the group that hasn't heard the five levels of leadership. I'm going to share it with you because there's a couple other five levels of leadership that are out there that were developed maybe at the same time. But I heard this once from my lead, one of my go-to leaders in the early 90s. But the first time I heard the five levels of leadership is in Jim Collins' book, Good to Great. Okay, and Good to Great, he talks about the different levels of leader from the person who's at the lowest level all the way up to the executive. And he's talking about the different characteristics of these leaders and what's necessary. But John Maxwell, who's probably the biggest name in leadership development today, Paul, has written over 25 books on leadership, including one called The Five Levels of Leadership. And his five levels of leadership is all about the attributes or all about the uh, relationship between the leader and the follower. So basically, you become a different level of leader depending on where your follower and your relationship stands. is all about the core competencies necessary to become a better leader. Let me start. A level one leader is a person when told what to do gets the job done. Okay. When told what to do gets the job done, that doesn't sound like a leader, but there's an old adage, Paul, this is leading by example is one way of leading, but without it, all the rest don't work. A level one leader leads by example. This is the person you say, hey, I need you to deal with the Smiths. And they can go deal with this. All what to do, they get the job done. A level two leader is a person can do level one, plus they can identify problems. Not a big difference between a one and a two. I think it's human nature that we start to identify problems around us. This is a person when dealing with the Smiths. They run into a problem, they can bring it back to you. Hey, Paul, deal with the Smiths. I have this problem. And they expect you to solve it. That's a level two. Now, a level three does level two consistently, but they come up with solutions to those problems. We like three. Okay, when they're dealing with the Smiths, not only do they bring back the problem, they bring back how they solved it. Big difference between the two. Let's get to a level four. A level four does level three plus, and I'll say this twice because it's a mouthful, they can mobilize a group of people around a common cause to drive a result consistently. Again, a level four does level three plus they can mobilize a group of people around a common cause, any cause, drive revenue, 
drive the new benefit package, whatever it may be, they can drive it all the way to its conclusion until it's successful. That's a huge difference between the three. They don't just do it once, they do it consistently. Hey, can you go deal with the Smiths? When dealing with the Smiths, we run into a problem. Not only do they identify the problem and solve the problem, they put systems and processes in place so we never have to deal with that problem again. We train everyone in the organization on that problem. Holy smokes, they don't do it once, they do it consistently. Big difference between them. We love four. Now let's talk about level five. Level five does level four, plus they tie everything back to the bigger vision, mission, and values of either of the individual or the organization. And most importantly, what a five does, Paul, is they develop other level four pluses. Now freeze. I want your whole audience to do the same thing. Just think about, write down what you're thinking, what you're feeling, okay? As, as I say, freeze. Okay. And typically, Paul, what, what are you thinking and feeling? Just so I'm clear, thinking and feeling in terms of... As I just described the five levels of leadership, you're just hearing that. What's going yeah. through your mind? I think I'm self-evaluating a little bit. I would say I'm at least level three consistently. And I'll share a quick aside there. I was on a call with John and I think a few others the other day. And this is before I, I knew what the five levels we were discussing a problem. I said, hey, I got a solution for you. We got this and this. He's like, you're a level three. I'm like, wait a minute. I know that there's five levels here. So I don't know if I'm being like complimented or insulted. My reaction from what I'm hearing is I think I'm probably consistently level three. And I get the difference in levels. And so just to maybe add to that, I would imagine that John, who we're talking about as an example, I think he's probably level five from at least my experience with him where that's the predominant characteristics. And I say that because ever since I've gotten to know him, really just over the past year or so, he always starts with vision, mission, values. And that was not how I was operating when we met. Yes, you're all over it. So John was using that. Now, when I first met him, he wasn't. He's yeah. a great level four. He could mobilize a group of people, but he wasn't developing the next generation of leaders. And that's why he was so tired and frustrated. And what I do is help these people. Because here's the thing. Most of the people listening here are financial advisors. Yep. It's a profession. You've spent 10,000 plus hours developing the professional skills of being a great financial advisor. Being a leader is another profession. It's possible to do both, but it's hard. You have to do be very intentional. And what John wasn't at the time was being intentional on leadership because he between the eyes and just went, here's the thing about what you said. 90% of the time, 90% of the people, when I say freeze, what do you think and feel and doing right at this moment? 90% of the time, 90% of the people will say, number one, what number am I? They're self-evaluating. They're self-assessing. Number two, they're often looking at their organization. My guess is you were thinking about your team too. Going, I wonder what Sarah is. I wonder what Bill is. They just bring me problems. Sarah brings me solutions. She's probably more. You're evaluating your team. And number three, which is the most powerful part of it, people are often thinking to themselves, how do I move myself and the people around me up? Because what would happen to the growth of your organization if you had a bunch of level four pluses running around? And that's where John's part of his vision for his firm is to become known industry-wide as a supercharged leadership development factory. We develop level five. Okay. And that's what's happened over the last several years. He's gone from 10, 12 million to 73 million this year. Okay. He'll go from 73 million probably to 85, 90 million next year. He'll be over 100 million in two years. He's basically doubled it multiple times in seven, eight years, stuff like that. It's holy cow. And he could not do it. He was frustrated. He couldn't actually achieve his vision. Now he's got this great vision. And now he's got who's, this is the Ann Sullivan conversation talk. He's got a bunch of who's helping them. Leaders, are they perfect? No, but they're all tying everything back because here's part of the secret. 
The secret of being a consistent level four, the ability to mobilize a group of people around a common cause to drive a result consistently. The secret, and if I were taking notes out there, I'd write this down. The secret of being a consistent four is tie everything back to vision, mission, values. Do level five behavior. So when you're trying to get people to revamp the new benefits plan, tie it back to the bigger why. Our values, our vision, okay? Why do we want to grow our business? Tie it back to the bigger why or their personal values, vision, and stuff like that. It's amazing. That's how you get consistently get people to do stuff is connected back to the why, personal why or organizational why. And that's what you have to become consciously competent about how to do it. And this is where I start to lead people all through organizations how to do that. Okay. So my primary group, back to the first question you asked, is, do I work primarily in the financial services industry? And the answer is yes. And partly because of the fact that when you're coaching people, it's based on trust. Okay. And it's amazing. I could go work for the New York Yankees as an example. I could go work in the biomedical field because people are people. It's the same thing for both groups. But usually the New York Yankees won't hire me because what do you know about baseball, right? What do you know about biomedical? I've been an executive in financial services. I can talk your language all day long. Okay. I know the industry. I deal with 20 different companies within the industry. I know what's going on. But at the same time, leadership is the same stuff. Whether I'm talking to the baseball or a biomedical field or a group of kindergartners, it's not that different. To expand upon, I come at that from a, a different lens slightly is that, so I'm primarily a, a marketer. And when I work with people, one of the things I want them to do is to ideally focus in on a, a group. Just as an example, I work with, similar to you, I work with financial advisors. And and why is that useful and helpful? To your point, I speak their language. I I understand their point of view, their personalities, common challenges. Can I take the same skill set and apply it to a different group? Sure. But there's an assumption that, do you understand me? Marketing's marketing. But so I guess I just want to say that in my own words, in my own lens, and I can definitely appreciate and agree with that. So you have, you have me thinking now, right? I guess I'm just going to have to hijack this and make this all about me. So a little so coaching lesson here. It's the real reason to do podcasts is you get like all kinds of amazing insights that would probably cost you a fortune otherwise. But yeah. So level three, I think I have pretty well on my belt. I think I'm level four-ish. I don't know that I'm consistently level four, but I think that's my focus right now. And I, I've been spending enough time with John and just without necessarily understanding it the way that you described it in terms of the five levels, I can see what he's doing and I'm paying attention. And again, it goes back to that mission values and core values. And so I can see that seeping into just organically, almost the way that I'm starting to operate myself. For example, I'm currently expanding my team. And I think an advisor can relate to this. And I'm sure you obviously work with advisors. And so maybe you can add to this, but when you go from the primary person doing the work, even if you have uh, a team of support, right? So you're not by yourself, you have staff, maybe operations, et cetera, but you're the rainmaker, you're the key person that people look at. And you realize that you've hit a wall and you need to expand the pan, expand beyond that. But there's also this like fear, right? It's that you can consistently drive a certain result for your customers that you're accustomed to. And it's, you don't want to drop the ball and all these different things. Literally in the process right now, bringing someone on to take over a key role for me. And again, because of this influence from John, it's like, I came up with the core values. Okay, what are the values that need to guide you while you're on this call and I'm not there to be there? I need to set up values that they can operate off of. And so I just can be like, I'll turn it over to you, but just what would you add to to that conversation from your perspective? Well, you're going through exactly the process that people who go from solo contributors and all of a sudden you need to start getting it done 
just to achieve your vision, your goals for yourself, you realize my back is getting sore yep. and I need to get other people to do this stuff. And I, that was my hardest leadership job. Besides leading oneself, myself, mm-hmm. my first leadership job when the first time I had direct reports, okay, where to even start? And it's helping people start with, let's develop, hey, where we're going, our vision. How do you do that? It sounds like a buzzword, but when you learn how to use it, the vision gives them a direction and a why and where we're going when you're not there. So you can articulate and say, hey, we're going here. This is what we want to do. So if we're ever in doubt, remember, this is where we're going. We're taking the hill. Okay. As we're going between our current reality and where we're going, there's thousands of decisions that are thousands. Let me give you five or six guiding principles. Okay. That as long as you're in alignment with these guiding principles and you're heading northeast towards that vision, we're okay. That means I don't have to be there to make all those decisions. That was part of John's frustration that John was so getting to the micromanaging, controlling this business was getting bigger and he didn't want to make a mistake, all these different things. And then just like you're squeezing it too tight versus directionally give them a vision and values that guide their decision-making. Like the client comes first. Hey, excellence in everything we do. Hey, integrity in everything. We're going to admit if we made a mistake. Hey, we're going to use transparency wherever possible. Whatever the four things for your business, let's make sure that those people working for you know that these will always be praised or always be high five as long as it's heading towards that vision. If we're not in alignment with those values or going in a different direction of the vision, that leads to conflict. Not that conflict's a bad thing. Paul, I, I grew up with a family of six. I have four kids right now. They're not kids anymore, but 21 to 27, we can't agree what we're going to watch on TV together, what we're going to have on dinner together, but we can actually have a common vision and actually values in terms of how to treat each other within the household. Same thing works in the household as it does in a big company and in a practice. And as you achieve this big vision, this opportunity that I talked about in that last podcast you talked about, it's just, it's amazing. It's out there, but none of us want to work more hours. And the key Jenga block there's two big ones that are happening in the industry. Okay. I've talked about the future of the financial services industry. It's high tech, high touch, high tech, high touch. One of them you control, the other one you don't. Technology you don't control. It's happening, folks. It's happening fast and it's going to accelerate. The artificial intelligence on this industry is zooming. The people who believe that their value proposition is, I'm portfolio management. Hate to tell you, you better get a new business because artificial intelligence is going to blow you away and has already started. What the client wants from you is relationship, the emotional connection, which is back to that BFA, the Behavioral Financial Advice designation, teaching you how to connect with your clients. Plenty of you do this, but I want you to become consciously competent so you can develop everyone on your team to do this because it's going to be all about high touch. What you embrace the technology, but boy, you better go out and a relationship monger and emotional intelligence. As you know, we do not have any advertisements here on our podcast. Often I get asked, well, how can I give back, John? How can I help? I've got two simple asks for you. First, share the podcast with a friend, someone that you think can benefit from the information. And secondly, if you haven't already, please join the Financial Advisor Success Syndicate, something I am super proud of and would love your participation and to have you join and add value to a community with like-minded advisors. So to join, go to joinfass.com. Look forward to seeing you in there.
before we get into the behavioral, there's two specific questions I wanted to ask you about on the mission and values. <laughs> Question number one is, as you are that smaller solopreneur, we'll call it expanding, and you have a direction that you want to go, and this is maybe in my case, I want to dictate what the vision, mission, and values are, right? Versus maybe a bigger company where it's, do we get our team involved in the process? What are our values, et cetera? And maybe depending on the size of the organization, mo both might have its place. But at this point, I want to say these are the values. And really, it's my values. And by extension, I want to attract those people and foster them inside my team. So that's one question. The second question is, I think for some people, there's... So I'll give you a concrete example. Maybe 10 to 20 years ago, I forget how long at this point. I was in a different role, doing a different thing. And I was doing a sales call to the president of a credit union named Harold. When I was in the lobby, I saw up on the wall, they're like, our mission at this credit union is to X, Y, and Z. I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. So I'm thinking I'm studying leadership books and different things and influence. So I march on up to the president's office for the sales call. And I wanted to engage him at that higher level versus just a regular salesperson. So I'm like, oh, I noticed on the wall, your mission is blah, blah, blah. I just love to hear more about that. And his response was like, huh, what mission? Huh? <laughs> just, I, I just use it as a story because I think there is some resistance until someone like really gets and is inspired, I think there's some resistance because I think all, too many of us have had experience of this is just corporate speak or but something that you do an exercise, you check the box, you're done and it goes in the folder and you don't really, the organization doesn't really breathe those values. So just those two questions, I'd love to get your feedback and then we'll move on to behavioral finance. Perfect. One of the things that part of the coaching that we do at my company, Think to Perform, and is we learned over the last 15, 20 years is advisors... I'll call it graduate from advisor to CEO. They go from advisor to practice to CEO of this small firm. Maybe you become a bigger, larger firm. Okay. There's six key things. I won't go through all six of them. I'm just going to go to the top two things that help a person go from advisor to CEO. First one is vision, clarity around this. These are buzzwords. They are buzzwords for the level one leader. Because this is one of the challenges about a level one versus a level five. A, a level one doesn't see what a five does. A two, often doesn't see what a three does. You may have two people working in your organization, Paul, and they both come performance review time and they think they're going to get the same amount of money because one of them, hey, I do the same thing as Jim. You bring me a lot of problems. Jim brings me solutions. This is why Jim's getting the bigger bo bonus, the bigger raise. What? We got the same title. It's not about titles. It's about core competencies. Okay. And a two often doesn't see what a three does and often see what a four does. And a one definitely doesn't see what a five does. When I first started with that company, IDS, back in 1988, I was a great level one leader. When told what to do, I got the job done. I worked hard, put my nose down. But we had a CEO at the time. His name was Harvey Golub. Harvey led the entire industry into financial planning. Okay, He was the one. Let's do a financial plan. It was his noodle that actually mobilized a group of people around his vision for the stuff. Every time they did a town hall meeting with Harvey, he talked about vision, mission, and values. Blah, 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 blah. Me, I was sitting there thinking, he needs a new speechwriter. This is terrible. If I hear that one more time, I'm going to put a bullet in my head. This is so bad. I was a level one. When told what to do, got the job done. I couldn't even see what he was doing. One of my colleagues at Take to Perform reported to him for a number of years. And he said, Ray, what you don't know is this. And Harvey, if he, if he ever attended one of your meetings and you're talking about your strategy, your goals, your tactics, whatever with your team, and you did not connect it back to the bigger why, vision, mission, and values, you were fired. I was like, really? He goes, he gave you one mulligan. 
He pulled you aside. I didn't see the connection back to the bigger why. You do that again, you're done. If you can't connect what you're doing back to the bigger why, you shouldn't be doing it. Ah. So back to a lot of people do use it as buzzwords, okay? Because they don't understand it. They don't know how to use it, okay? I see this all of the time. So back to number one and two for advisors to go from becoming an advisor, becoming a CEO, learn, first have vision, mission, and values, but then learn how to use them, okay? How to lead a group of people with these things. And the second thing is client segmentation, okay? All of a sudden, John Cutton hasn't seen a client in a decade plus. Been over 12 years since he's seen a client. And for a lot of the people listening, that's scary as hell. I'm sure it was for John. He built something really successful, okay? But all of a sudden, it's the only way to get to the next thing. There's so many things, Paul, you're working on in your business out here. Who's going to do that thinking? Would any of you out there listening recommend a company where the leaders don't have a clear vision, have values that guide their decision-making? You went to visit that little credit union, you heard that Yahoo go, what are you talking about, huh? I wouldn't invest in that company right there off the get-go. Holy smokes. A lot of you invest in your practices and you don't have a clear direction. You wonder why your people don't really get excited and get as fired up. If you haven't given them a reason why to work that hard. Okay, so it's back to the difference. Here's one for you, Paul, for people listening. A good friend of mine run, uh, owned a company called Modern Surveys. It's a, one of those companies that does specializes in employee engagement. Okay, how to get your people more engaged. And they do a survey of 1,200 companies around the world, all different types of companies, profit, nonprofit, financial services outside. Every year, they survey all of the employees at these companies. And one of the questions they ask these people is, how engaged are you at work? Okay. And one of the things that's so shocking, and this was last year he owned the company, which is 2015-16, then he sold it to Aon. So I used to get this information from him every year. It was great to find out where the world was and how they thought about engagement. What they found is, when asked the question, how much effort do you give at work? Only 16% of the people answered, I give it my all. I give it my best. That was, oh, by the way, a 10-year high. 16%. One in seven of your people are actually giving it their all. 28% of the people were given as little as necessary to get by. Okay. That was a 10-year low. Okay. I had seen above 30% of the people were given as little as necessary to get by. Now, one of the questions I asked all of my clients is this one, Paul. If you want those 84% of the people who are, who are not giving it their all, to give it their all, what must you do? And the big answer is you have to give them a purpose worthy of their best effort. That is part of the vision, mission, and values. Okay, give them a purpose worthy of the best efforts. Here's a safety tip for all of you. They have found that people in an organization who could state the vision, mission, and values, who just know what they are, just state them, are 51 times, not 51%, 51 times more likely to be fully engaged than people who do not know what the vision, mission, and values. I don't know any technology that makes you 51 times more productive. This is huge, folks. If you don't have a vision, mission, and values and are articulating it, and so this is one of the things I saw John do almost immediately. He, he got the vision, mission, and values nailed down, and he started coming into one of his meetings on Monday morning. It's the first thing they cover, 100 and something people on the line. They bounce around the room. Paul, oh, share with us our top five values. Jenny, share with us our vision. Jim, our tagline. Bill, our mission statement. Everyone in there knows at any point in time, they can call on you on vision, mission, and values. Does it make them boring? Data says yes, but we also could be level one leaders. Oh, and I can't, I can back my Harvey Gallup days. If they talk about this one more time, I'm going to shoot someone. But John knows 
that people who can state it are 51 times more likely to be fully engaged than the people cannot. That's why it's the number one li on the list of helping an advisor go from advisor to truly becoming a CEO. Make sure you can articulate the vision, mission, and values and make sure all your people can. You'll that's see a productivity increase right away. That's amazing. And I love the context that you gave around that, which is if you really see yourself on that spectrum of leadership level one to level five, there's a reason why that level one, it just goes in one ear, not the other is because their mindset and their goals and their the reality that they've constructed for themselves, it, it, it doesn't, it's not as meaningful to them at that point. I guess for me, it's so much more meaningful at, at this point because it really, it, it's not this nice to have thing. It's not this luxury. It's actually a critical tool. So what I'm getting away from, or what I'm taking away from this conversation, I think that too many of us think of this as, oh, it'd be nice to have this. If we had a vision, mission, and values, that would be great. We, we check a box and then we look good. But what I'm hearing you say is if you're a carpenter, well, you need a hammer or a screwdriver or a drill in your toolkit. Otherwise, you're just like not going to be effective. And if you're at that point where you're essentially maxed out or you're looking to grow significantly bigger without this tool in your toolkit, you're going to be stuck in, in many ways. I've unstuck enough people to know <laughs> how critical this is. I, You heard me say key Jenga block. It is the key block that makes everything hum is leadership. It truly is. And I would encourage folks to become a student of it. And one of the opportunities for people is the Financial Advisor Success Syndicate that we talked about earlier. So the Financial Advisor Success Syndicate, just from my point of view, and I'll turn it over to you. So this is fairly new. It's been around for, I want to say, just a couple months now. And it's a collaboration between you, John Cutton, and I believe it's five or six other founding members, each that have their particular discipline and skill set. And I know that your primary role there as one of the founding members is that leadership track. And before I turn it over, just if someone's listening to this, wow, I'm really motivated, inspired, et cetera, by what I've learned from Ray. And here's the key thing, without necessarily making a substantial investment at this point, although that's always welcome, I'm sure. To me, this is like the vehicle to get more wisdom and insights from you. So just with that framing, I'll turn it to you. Yeah, and you're spot on all that stuff. So what I would tell people is just write this down, join, J-O-I-N-F-A-S.com. You can join the community. It's a group of like-minded, they're all financial advisor professionals, okay? And it's all about creating this community who are interested in growing their businesses. It's actually one of our guiding principles, no jerks allowed, where we share ideas and learnings. But to your point, we have seven founders you have John, who's running one of the most successful businesses in the independent space out there. You have Anton Anderson. I know he's in San Diego with you, Paul. Anton is how to put CPAs together with financial advisors in a family practice type situation. You have Frank LaRosa, who's a recruiting expert, one of, one of the biggest, or maybe the largest recruiting firm in the country. David Grout Jr., who uh, runs a group called Succession Resource Group, mergers and acquisitions and legal ease and how to set up your company properly. Tina Beck, you mentioned earlier, uh, media expert, how to actually use this marketing stuff effectively. John Randall, it, ideas in terms of increasing the revenue in your business, client service models, all these different things. I think I got everyone, but here it is. How adults learn, okay, F-A-S, how adults learn and grow. 70% of adult learning is you have to go do it, practice. percent of adult learning is through a coach or a mentor. And 10% of adult learning is from books, classes, podcasts. This is a 10 percenter. I'm glad you're all doing it, but this is not how you become a better financial advisor. 
is in how you become a better golfer. It can help, but you have to go apply it. To be clear, that's listening to this podcast is a 10% activity. You got a 10% activity. I called the multiplier, the coach, or the mentor. What you get exposed through FAS is a bunch of people who act as coaches. Okay. I happen to be in the leadership space. All these other people have their own spaces. We have different communities. We're asking questions, but we're learning from each other. We're facilitating that. And to your point, no cost to you. If you choose, some of you will actually go, I need more of that Ray Kelly's time. Then we can talk, okay? And then we could actually hire me as a full-time coach. That's a possibility. It's not why I'm doing this. It's not why any of them are doing this. We're going to help you give back because we want to make a meaningful difference in this space. Why not get like-minded people together, sharing ideas? I think just the, the seven of us, the founders, and it was John's idea. He's got one of those brains. Okay, so would you be interested? I said, love to help. I'm going to do one of those freeze things on you now. So I'm going to flip the script on you. I just want to underscore that's really the the ethos behind it is giving back and creating this, taking the top thoughts and ideas and strategies from the array of all of you, the types of content that you're giving out essentially for free. Typically, you'd have to spend quite a bit of money to get access to one of you let alone all seven of you, but I'm going to just for, for the fun of it, I'm going to say, okay, so what is the, the vision, mission, and core values guiding the financial advisor success? John's vision is to rev revolutionize and disrupt the financial advice industry. Okay. Disrupt it in a good way, not in a bad way, but let's disrupt it to give each other, help each other out, provide so much value that all of us are growing from each other. It's just how do you create that space? Okay, and back to the guiding principles of like-minded advisors, a community, one of the community we wanna be, it's positivity is requirement. We've already had to have at least one person talk to because of their negativity. It's not a selling platform. We don't want people getting on there selling their wares. It's not what the purpose. It's to share ideas and help each other grow and develop. So that's a big part of it. Do we have a written, Word by word, one of the things about a vision, mission, and values, it often takes an organization, individual, 12 to 18 months to really, it's like a fine wine. You want to start working on it, put it on the shelf for a while, take a look at it, have other people react to it. Hey, it's missing this. It's an ingredient. It's basically developing a fine wine. Vision, oh, by the way, changes with time. Eventually, okay, I, I think about John's group, they're almost two of the vision he set five years ago. Okay, get to 100 million revenue practice, and they're like, that's too small. We're gonna go to 500 million. Okay, mm -hmm. we're gonna do that in the next 10 years. Okay, and they actually had a meeting on it a couple of weeks ago. What it would take to do that? And when you start doing the math, you're going, holy, this is monstrous. And but he's, we have a plan. We got a strategy to make this happen, and let's talk about our 10x way of thinking. Is an example. So thanks for asking. The final question is, where can people go to either learn more about you or to reach out to you? You guys want to reach out to me, I think the easiest way to get exposed to me by join FASS.com. Great way to get exposed to me. I taught a class on FAST last Friday. And a big part of it was one of the things I learned on a podcast. Okay, I listened to Ed Milet talking to a guy named Jim Quick. Jim Quick is one of these guys is who studies the brain, optimal brain performance. And one of the things he talked about is adult learning. Okay, we all have a learning curve. We also have a forgetting curve. One of the things he described is the majority of us will, will forget nearly everything we learn in the next two days, okay? 
up to 80% of what you hear today will be completely forgotten within 48 hours. You go out a week or two weeks, forget about it. That's why there's books all over my bookshelves that I read that book, but I don't remember anything from it. He's trying to help you with optimal performance. We spend on average four hours a day processing information, most of it through reading, okay? And we don't do it very effectively. What if we could become more effective in our learning? He said, it's probably the greatest skill you could get, okay? You just think of a genie and you rub the whole thing and genie pops out and says you get one wish. Of course, the smart answer is I'd like to have 10 more wishes, okay? But let's just say they said you could have one skill, one skill only, what would it be? I want to dunk a basketball. I want to be a golfer like Tiger Woods. Whatever it is, you may jump all this stuff. Yeah, I just have to jump in. Have you ever, before you continue, have you, have you ever watched the movie Bedazzled before? I remember it, but I don't remember it. Yeah, so not to go off topic, but yeah, that that's like a lesson in asking for what you think you want and then it going terribly wrong. So his point is, what if you ask for the one skill is how to learn more effectively, how to learn faster. It's, you can learn anything now, okay? And he was given this concept, he was talking to Microsoft years and years ago. At the end of his speech, first person in the line there to ask him questions was Bill Gates. Could you help me read faster? Yeah, that's what, I could help you read faster. Because I want to do that. Just think if it takes me four hours, I can do it two hours. How much more I can learn? And Bill was so excited. The thing that I took away from his broadcast was how he takes notes. There's a right way and a wrong way or a more effective way, okay, than the way that a lot of us take notes. The worst way to take notes, Paul, is verbatim. I'm just writing down everything that Paul Ray is saying as quickly as, it's just too much information. He said, draw the line through the middle of your paper or your screen, whatever you're using on the left side, that's where the general ideas are. Don't try to write it all down, just the general themes of what you're hearing. That's the left side. It's like the right side of your brain. It's the logic center, right? Down the logical things that you're hearing. On the right side of the paper, this is the creative side. And on the creative side, he says, and I'd write this down, write down three questions to ask yourself while you're listening. So think about, you just heard Ray and Paul do a podcast. Ask yourself the question, these three questions. How can I use this? How can I use whatever, circle certain things on the, the left-hand side? Hey, Ray talked about the 70-20-10. He talked about joining FAS. We talked about the five levels of leadership. How can I use this? Ask, ask yourself. Second question, ask yourself, why must I use it? The reason why learning doesn't stick with us, because we get the information, but that's multiplied times emotion. You have to get the emotional, the why behind it. You multiply zero to 10 information times zero to 10 motivation gives you overall learning, zero to 100. Make sure you lock into the why, okay? This will help my clients. This will help me become a better dad. This will help me, whatever it may be. What's the why? Connect it back to secret vision, mission, values, personal or organizational. Tie it back to those things. Third question is when will I use it? Okay, target it. When will I use this? Make a commitment. I always, when I'm teaching my clients, studies have shown if you take action within 24 hours of learning it, use it someplace. You don't have to master it. Go use it as fast as you can. 90% shot, you're going to successfully integrate it. However, if you wait over 48 hours, that forgetting curve, it drops to 5% successful integration. That's a big difference, Paul. So that question of when, don't have to get it down immediately, but I'm going to actually share it with my wife, my business partner, my team about the three questions so that you improve. What would happen to your organization if everyone in your organization became a better learner? We went from four hours to two hours in terms of our integration. We're integrating a lot more of this stuff faster. What would happen to benefit the client, personally, your children? And that's my one takeaway. I'm 
I, I'm excited about it because I just heard it. And so guess what I said? How can I use this? I'm going to start using it in all my classes, podcasts, all my clients. Why must I use it? Are you kidding me? The value to, to all of my clients, value to my family, if they learn how to learn more effectively and faster. And when will I use it? As soon as possible on every chance I get. That's an example of how you could apply this. So I think for all of the people that are professional podcast listeners, the brain does not learn by consumption. The brain learns and integrates through creation. You have to go use it. No. That's the 70 ask of everyone. I'm going to challenge if you ever attend any of my classes, Paul, there's usually homework. The homework is go use it as as possible. I'll pull yeah. up there. Fantastic. Just final, not question, but just the feedback. Overall, just thank you so much for your time. This has been both interesting and educational. And I took notes myself on those three questions. So I wrote them down. I'm already thinking about myself, really just that is the level four leadership, level five leadership, being clear on that. And I guess specifically, it's what we talked about in terms of tie everything back to mission, vision, and values. And so that's something I'm starting to do, but I haven't just said, hey, I need and I want to do this consistently, but because of this conversation, I now see the value in doing that both myself and then with my team. So thank you very much for sharing your wisdom today. I really appreciate it. Paul, what you just did for the listeners to understand by Paul saying it out loud, mm. he just said it to everyone in your community. You were listening. Okay. If you write it down, you're twice as likely to do it versus just keep it in your head. Hey, I'm going to try vision, mission, and values of my organization. When you said it out loud to everyone, we just tapped into accountability and another great principle or value called integrity. Mm. Okay. I said it out loud. Holy smokes. Now I got to do it. This is what I do for anything that's really going to be big or beneficial. I'll tell people, hey, I'm going to try running a marathon. Well, it went out of my lips. Now I have to actually go train. People are going to ask me about it. Okay. You just said it out loud. My guess is Cotton's going to listen to it next time. Hundreds of others are going to listen to it. I just have to move forward now. I don't have a choice. <laughs> times more likely to do it. Doesn't guarantee you're going to do it, but 10 times more likely you're going yeah. to do it because you've said it out loud for all of your listeners. One of the best things that I've gotten out of working closely with John Cutton and helping him write these books is just this bird's eye view on what someone at his level already, but also aspiring to even a much bigger level. And I'm just absorbing. And even before this conversation, I absorbed how he does that, the vision, mission, and value. So I'm already like paying attention to that, but this just really underscores and provides maybe a little bit of analytical framework around that. So now I'm that much more committed to turning this into from just conversation and concept to consistent reality. So thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to today's episode. You can find the episode show notes and subscribe for updates by visiting cuttonconsultinggroup.com forward slash podcast. Make sure to subscribe and download the episodes on your favorite podcast app, and we'll see you next week.